Girl, he reads from these journals he kept when he was a principal. Uncut and uncensored. Putting all his business in the street. The podcast, Ruthless Equity. The name, Ken Williams. Hey, this is Ken Williams of Unfold the Soul and the host of the Ruthless Equity School Leadership Podcast. This is a rare occasion where I jump in before I read the journal entry, and that is to, one, welcome all new listeners to this podcast, and to let our loyal, loyal fan base know that the name has changed, but the format is still the same. You know, you get to a point as an entrepreneur where... um, If you're smart, you're going to start surrounding yourself with people who are better at doing things you're not great at. And, you know, I'm not a marketer. I market, but I'm not a marketing expert. And uh, sat down with my marketing team. And while I think the podcast is going well, I mean, hell, if anybody listens to me, it's going well. You know, he did uh, make me aware that one, the, the name, which I came up with three years ago. I can't believe I've been doing this for three years. You know, Ruthless Equity didn't exist at that point and it is important to have some alignment so the bless his heart leadership podcast doesn't necessarily communicate that my audience is school leadership and since writing the book i bring everything back to elements of ruthless equity so thus the name change to make this podcast a little more searchable even though i believe so much of Our listenership comes from word of mouth and know that the the format is the same. I'm going to shut up in a second and jump into our journal entry for this week. But before I go there, I want to thank you for last week. I was fighting some kind of crazy demonic cold that took my voice. I mean, I sounded like I had laryngitis and I can push through anything and I'm, you know, I pride myself on not getting sick, but last week I would have sound like death warmed over. And, uh, and so my wife had this great idea of posting a popular episode, you know, kind of like a best of, and I did that. I think I posted open hell house and I have to tell you, I usually don't get to the reflection until after the, after I read the journal entry. But I have a reflection about that episode because I got some feedback. I got some great responses from some listeners who'd heard it, you know, almost three years ago. And so I'll be honest with you, I had to listen to it again because they were making some points that I didn't remember off the top of my head. So I listened to it again. And man, oh man, I'm going to I'm going to give you a little bit of wisdom right here. So I'm going to go off on a tangent just for a little bit. My daughter and her friend are planning a trip overseas to Thailand and Vietnam. And they're just, I mean, they're doing this all on their own and their own dime. And they're really a lot of attention to detail. And I was just in the kitchen with them. And um, Madison, who is my daughter's friend, Mia's friend, they were both asking me about a point and shoot camera, something light to take with them. And I, I showed them my new point and shoot that I'm going to use to do vlogs for my newsletter and they loved it. 
And they talked about, you know, we should do a vlog while we're over there. And I was like, that's a great idea. You should do that. And you see what would come of that. And right away, which is just human nature, they started asking questions about, well, how do you make it so it's nice? And how do you make it so it has these elements? And how do you make it so the camera's not shaking? How do you, like, like so many things that um, almost like to make it perfect. And my immediate response to them was, don't overthink it. Just, just do it. Because no matter, no matter how you shoot those initial videos, you'll go back a year later and they'll probably make you cringe. You'll probably think of 10 things that you either cut out or have added to it since then, things that you've done to enhance it, how it gets better. There's just no way around that process. You just have to get started. That is the key. You get started. So I bring it back to uh, the point of the podcast. I listened to Open Hell House, which I knew was a very popular episode. I mean, had a lot of a lot of downloads, a lot of listens. But man, listening to it, I cringed for most of it. <laughs> I, I was cringing because I've changed the format since then. Uh, I kind of get right to just so many things. I was just like, oh God, if I could, I should have gone back through and edited the hell out of that episode before I reposted it, but I didn't. And it was just a reminder that no matter how you start, no matter how you start, you're always going to get better with time and attempts. You're never going to get it all right the first time. And that's just so important to remember. It's so important to remember. So many of us overthink starting something because we want all our ducks in a row, all the T's crossed and the I's dotted. We want everything perfect. We want it to look like a finished product. And listen, if you keep at it long enough, you're never going to get to that. You're never going to get there in terms of that finished product. But I promise you, the first time you try something, you stay with it. Six months to a year later, you look back. You're going to see and hear a lot of things that have evolved since that first iteration. But the key is to get started, to get going, to take swings. In this microwave society we're living in, we want instant everything. And we follow and admire people who are out in the public who look like finished products. But no one starts out as a finished product. And so that's my that's my two cents for this episode. Again, new name, same format. So let's get into this episode. I did get an encouraging phone call yesterday from my assistant superintendent, Dr. Jackson. He called me and mentioned how pleased he was and how impressed he was with Jeannie's performance. And Jeannie was my fifth grade teacher who was applying for the assistant principal position at our school. So he was impressed with her performance at the AP screening. He said that it was his understanding that her great preparation was due in part to the leadership development workshops that I created and conducted. He gave me some positive feedback with regard to developing leaders and asked me to present to our colleagues next week. I'll admit that initially I was hesitant. For most of the same reasons, teachers are typically hesitant to share positive results. Then I checked myself as a leader. 
I cannot be afraid of what others think. I must help shape the culture I work in when called upon. I can easily put myself in Dr. Jackson's shoes. I will prepare and I will clearly communicate a couple of points. One, we're still far from where we're going. And there's no way we're going to get there without some changes to my staffing, culture, and environment. And two, Jeannie came to the table as a lifelong learner as a result of her own ambitions and many staff development training opportunities provided by CCPS, along with the leadership development training modules that I developed as well. I'm now looking forward to presenting to the group. Lastly, I just pulled up my 0506 AYP data. AYP stands for Annual Yearly Progress to discover that we barely made it in math and did not make it at all in reading. And while I felt in my gut that we were not going to make it in either area this year, it was still very disappointing to see it on paper. I'm also tired of looking to see if we quote unquote made AYP. In other words, I feel like making AYP has been the goal and that's small thinking and too low a bar for me. I love what Jeannie mentioned in her interview about 90, 90, 90 schools. This is a wonderful goal to shoot for. I keep visualizing what it'll be like to be Clayton County's first 90, 90, 90 school. I'm going to start researching that goal soon. Hey, listen, I have revamped my professional development offerings. You can find them at unfoldthesoul.com. Touch the speaking tab. I've got two new offerings. The first is the three-hour virtual PD experience with me. And then the second is the in-person PD experience. Notice I don't call these presentations or workshops because I don't know. No, but I do know. I've gotten to a point in my career. One, my confidence is at an all-time high. I know equity like no one else. I know how to make it practical, tangible, meaningful. I know I could turn those states around who have foolishly banned equity from uh, any of their policies. I can help districts that have policies around equity, but they're spinning in circles, having conversations that don't lead to any kind of improvement in student learning. I can move your district from PLC light to PLC right, because I explain PLCs like no one else. I simplify it. It's authentic. I can take all those moving parts that are swirling around you, all the moving parts and make them make sense. If you are interested in Advancing your mission of learning for all, advancing your mission of equity, excellence, and achievement for all students, regardless of background. If you're a fan of ruthless equity and um, want to move your staff or district forward with it, get at a brother now. Go to my site, go to my page, unfoldthesoul.com. It reminds me of, it reminds me of that book I read. It's called uh, 
uh, reminds me of of nothing, nothing. And I got 950,000, 1,100 books behind me right now on this shelf. And some of them are great, but none of them are like Ruthless Equity. Ruthless Equity is a book like no other, explains equity like no other, speaks to you like no other, the coach on your shoulder, the guide on your side to move you from rhetoric to results regarding your journey with equity. Pick up a copy of Ruthless Equity at Amazon.com. If you are a fan, you've read it, take a minute, please, and leave a review on Amazon.com. Now, back to the podcast. All right, baby, let's get into it. There's a good bit to unpack. Already started unpacking in the intro about just getting started, get going with things. But uh, the first thing that comes to mind is my initial hesitance to present in front of my other colleagues, other principals and assistant principals in the district. And I empathize with that feeling to this day. Um, you know, when I when I train and consult and do on-site work and I'm asking teachers to kind of put themselves out in front, I get it. I understand it. It's human nature. Again, we we honor and celebrate the finished product. What we don't honor enough is the journey. And these days, I am much more into the journey. <laughs> I'm as I would say I'm as much into the journey as I am the finished product. I just life and uh, wisdom and age and experience has just taught me to appreciate the journey. My family laughs at me because I I when I'm working in my office, if I'm able to have uh, background noise, I'm often watching uh, indie hood movies. <laughs> just, I mean, independent films, and a lot of these are done with iPhones and Canon cameras, and they're set in the hood. And a lot of times, they're like, they're terrible. They're terrible. But I, I think I like listening to them because I just appreciate the fact that some cat picked up a camera, got some people together, cobbled together some funding, some sweat equity, and they got after it. And, um, you know, as long as it's got decent audio, I can I can listen to it. And it just again, it helps me appreciate the journey. So <clears throat> I'm proud that I caught myself and checked myself, as I said, in the journal entry and realized that I got to I got to stand up there and, and represent when I fast forward that, you know, almost 20 years. I think about Ruthless Equity and on the cover of Ruthless Equity is a light bulb with a flame under it, like it's blasting off. And one of the principles I talk about in the book is the ruthless have to illuminate. You have to illuminate and light the way for others. And um, hell, you know, would the the ego part of me would have preferred to have some real tangible results, you know, student learning results before I stand in front of my colleagues? Yes, that would have been preferred because you heard uh, two minutes later that, you know, we didn't make, you know, our, our standardized test scores were still in the toilet. Like we barely got one nostril above the water in mathematics and, you know, we failed in reading. And here I am, the worst performing school in the district, <clears throat> a brand new principal uh, in the district in my first year. And my assistant superintendent wants me to stand in front of my colleagues and, you know, talk about leadership and how I got our folks prepared to for the assistant principal screening 
it was it was uncomfortable it was absolutely uncomfortable but what i've learned over time is that if you stand convicted in your process in your practice in your mission then you should be able to stand up there and and deliver stand up there and deliver you know i i knew in my gut as hard as these days were that if we stayed the course we were going to turn the tide you know i don't i don't want my statement about in my gut you know i I said in my gut i didn't think we were going to make it in either area that was that was not a statement about our kids i want (laughs) to be clear about that up front that statement was more of a end of the year state of your union address regarding our staffing and culture you know, as uh, we were, we were a kennel of whip dogs, man. We really were. I mean, I've said this over and over again. And what I found was, over time, I realized that when we get the culture turned around in the right direction, I could identify several people who I believe their things would turn for them, and they'd be able to remain on the bus. But I identified as many, or even more people that is just wasn't going to be the fit for them you know they were either didn't they weren't mission driven they weren't there for the right reasons or they've just been beat down so much they weren't going to be able to turn that thing around and so that's what that statement was about and that made it even more of a challenge to stand up in front of people you know colleagues and peers talking about what's happening at your school. But again, it's visionary. You know, we we laud athletes who do this. We laud business owners who, you know, they they, they take over a company in shambles and they're like, we're going to be this, we're going to be that, we're going to deliver on this promise, deliver on that promise. And, you know, we love the way it sounds, but this was no different. This is no different. Who the hell am I to get up there and talk about, you know, leadership at my school? But I had to stand in it. And again, you know, I bring that forward. This is what ruthlessness is about. The ruthless must illuminate and light the way for others. I have to tell you, it was uh, the AYP annual yearly progress, which was the, you know, measuring stick at that time. You know, it seems to change every couple of years. I also empathize with schools when I work with schools and I coach leaders. When. I knew, and I stated it in the journal entry, I knew AYP was a low bar. I knew it was a relatively low bar, just like, but when you've not been there, and I've only been there one year, but when you've not been there for six years, it see it feels, it feels insurmountable. It That's why the name of the episode is a low bar that feels like a high fence, because that's what it felt like. You know, every year that you don't make AYP, which is again, this relatively low bar. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want our school to be judged by whether or not you make AYP, but man, the longer it takes for you to make it, the years that go by, it just starts to mess with you. It'll mess with your, your, your mental capabilities. It, it, it really will. Um, and so I just knew that while the district was all about making AYP I kept kind of kept one eye on that to satisfy that but my other eye and the majority of my sight was thinking bigger it was thinking bigger 
bigger than a district. I get on schools and and today, you know, I'll tell the story all the time. We were the worst performing school in the district. And the next worst performing school was like a booger flick, a sneeze, uh, one kid erasing an answer on a on an assessment away from being right there in the basement with us. But man, they look at us like, well, we're not them. <laughs> I was like, yo ass, all you need a kid to do is skip one question and your ass will be right here with us. And yet, you know, they're, they're satisfied with, well, we not them. And I was just never satisfied with that. I always thought bigger than doing well by district standards. I, I work in districts. I work with schools sometimes, man. They'll be like, you know, 52% proficiency, like 52% of their kids working at proficient levels, but they're the highest performing school in the district and they think they're the cream of the crop. Like, they think this shit don't stink. It's crazy. It's crazy how small we think, right? And look, I'm a competitor. I wanted to crush everybody, not in our district. I want to say that again. I don't, I don't go for it inside the district competition. And if I went to church this Sunday, Jesus probably tell me you shouldn't be trying to beat whoop anybody's ass. But the truth is, schools outside our district and the private schools in the area, I wanted to whoop they ass. Whoop T H E Y ass. Whoop they asses. I wanted to whoop them. But ultimately, ultimately, like those were like short term, um, those are short term, like incremental measures. But ultimately, we competed against perfection because I wasn't into casualties. I, I don't I don't care if we were 91% proficient in a content area. I'd be happy for a minute and then I'd think about those 9%. I don't like casualties. So we always ultimately competed against perfection and you should too. It's always about your achievement in relation to 100% of your kids learning at high levels. That was the that was the ultimate standard. It was okay to whoop a school in, in the next district or defy the data and show people what we could do. But ultimately, we competed against perfection, and that's what you've got to go after. We celebrate the hell out. If we hit 91%, we celebrate the hell out of it, but then we get back to work with those other 9%. I think the last point I want to make is related to the, if you read my book, the fourth rule of ruthlessness, which is a commitment to momentum over mood rings. I don't care what advances take place in society. I know right now, if you're listening to this in real time, it's this chat GB, G, GBT, uh, uh, cactus, AI, whatever it is, artificial intelligence. Hell, I'm, I'm amazed by it as well. I I said, um, I was with my marketing coach and he said, create a workshop description for an equity session at a conference. And that's all he said. To the to the damn chat and it spat out something that would if I gave it 10 tries it wouldn't be as good and I do this shit for a living right so no matter how advanced our society becomes doesn't matter you know right now everybody's got a microphone technology's flat in the world you can find any poor people got supercomputers in their pockets there are some fundamentals that are never going to change. 
everything in our society is not going to be microwavable. And changing culture, when you're dealing with people, it's never going to be microwavable. Never, ever, ever. And so momentum over mood rings is so important, especially in a time and space and era where everything seems instant. And I'm not disparaging that. Hell, I love Amazon. I've got stock in Amazon. I will order ice. You hear me? I order a bag of ice on Amazon. Right? So I get it. I love it. You know, when I'm not in the mood to see a bunch of people, I love ordering stuff on Amazon. But changing culture, changing achievement, it's going to require persistent and consistent momentum over your mood rings. You can't get bogged down with short-term results. You can't switch off what you're doing every time you don't get the results you wanted. You know, when I got that news about not making AYP, a lot of schools and maybe another time in my leadership history, I'd be switching off looking for the next magic bullet, but I knew what we were doing was the right thing. I knew organizing our school and collaborative teams, focusing on essential learning outcomes, getting everyone to understand what effective collaboration looked like on a daily basis, right? Being relentless about that, being mission driven and having no plan B. We had no plan B, none. We burned the boats and I knew that was the way to go, but that stuff gets challenging when you get short-term data thrown in your face that tells you that your shit's not working. And so I would encourage you to embrace that fourth rule of ruthlessness, momentum over mood rings. And again, this is assuming that you are immersed in research-based, high leverage research-based best practices, that you understand the bottom line and that you know how to score. See, our score was mastery of essential learning outcomes. That was the only score I was concerned with. Because I know if we focused on that, everything else will take care of itself. And always remember that to be excellent at anything, you cannot give your time, attention, and focus to everything. You, in fact, have to be ruthless about the factors that advance your mission and equally ruthless about cutting away factors that impede your mission. There is a ruthlessness to excellence and always start with the crown. the next episode of the Ruthless Equity School Leadership Podcast, we're going to delve into a day of highs and lows and lessons learned. Stay tuned. You've been listening to the Ruthless Equity School Leadership Podcast with Ken Williams. For more information about Ken, visit RuthlessEquity.com.